You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs. For protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE at Progressive.com. Let's bring in ESPN's NBA reporter, Brian Windhorst, who just did a fantastic episode of the Daily, ESPN Daily, that is, with Pablo Torre, talking about Robert Sarver. And I was thinking through so many of the conversations you both had as the news came down today that Robert Sarver would look into selling both the Suns and the Mercury. I think the biggest question here is, what do you think changed between the initial responses to the suspension and potentially even the pushback from Sarver on some of the accusations to his decision today? I'm not sure exactly uh, because some of the stuff isn't public and and we don't know that we don't know what other sponsors may have been wavering other than PayPal. Um, I thought, you know, you know, the comments that uh, Tamika Tramaglio, the the new executive director of the union uh, calling for him to be banned for life were powerful. I thought Draymond Green coming out and calling for the owners to vote basically say, are you with us or against us? Um, even though I doubt the owners would have done that, I thought that was an, it was a great strategy move. And I thought, you know, players could have begun echoing that, you know, on media day next week. I don't know if it was any one thing or if it was a preponderance, but I will say that one thing that I know is that Robert Sarver was going to take a series of body blows from the players beginning on Sunday and Monday when training camps opened. And it was just unclear to me whether or not he was going to be able to weather that storm. Um, The voluntary sale was always the best thing for the league. Mm -hmm. I understand why Adam Silver said last week when he was asked about it that he hadn't pursued it with Sarver. I didn't find that likely truthful. I felt that that would definitely be something that they would want. And that's what the league got. But it is, it's not a happy day. Uh, even though some people are very happy to not get, to have Sarver uh, removed. This is now the third NBA owner, including Donald Sterling and Bruce Levinson of the Hawks, who has sold his team in the last eight years under the cloud of, uh, of racist and misogynistic acts and, and words and emails. And that is upsetting it is upsetting for a league that really prides itself on being progressive. And I guess maybe you could say that, you know, having these owners, you know, exit is progressive, but it's a painful reminder of the, of, you know, where things still really are an uphill battle. I mean, you mentioned that Wendy, and it only makes me think at what point does the league sort of do an internal investigation into all of the teams and just sort of get ahead of all of this? Is there a cultural problem with ownership in the NBA? I mean, it's a fair question. I don't think so, but I don't know, you know, I mean, um, some of the things that Robert Sarver was accused of were more than a decade old. And I can't speak for the actions and words of, you know, all these uh, power brokers over the last 10 plus years. And that's, I think, one of the things I think the, you know, Robert Sarver was not a well-liked owner. The owners certainly, I think, would are pleased that there could be an ownership change to a different person in Phoenix. But 
if you're an NBA owner and the you know the standard has been set that if you are proven to have said some things even 10, 15 years ago that can be problematic, that you can face pressure to sell your team, you can imagine that there's going to be some skittish folks because of, you know, things that are on the record and off and the emails that exist out there in servers and stuff like that. So, like I said, I don't think it's a good moment for the league. I think it's it's disappointing about, I guess it's reality, and, it, and now that we know that it's reality, we have a better understanding, but it's not something that I think should be celebrated. I think it's something that is, um, you know, melancholy, even though I think having Robert Sarver out would improve the NBA. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA reporter. You can follow him at Windhorst ESPN. As Robert Sarver, owner of the Suns and Mercury, announced today he'll be looking into the sale of those teams after an investigation. Wendy, we were asked on Debatable today whether this indicates any sort of power shift, particularly looking at the NBA as opposed to a league like the NFL, where there are superstars like LeBron who seem to have outsized weight and power. My answer was that I think I would need to know more about the specifics behind Sarver's decision, whether there's information that wasn't made public, whether there's concern about more things coming out, and also the potential that he just would prefer to be a martyr in the quote-unquote unforgiving world that he wanted to say he cancel certainly culture, took that position right yeah. and whether he's more comfortable making two billion dollars and going out into spaces and talking about how his team was unfairly taken than existing in what is ostensibly a progressive culture that is the nba this doesn't to me necessarily say that that power structure has changed any since you had that conversation with pablo about just how much adam silver is actually capable of doing working for these owners do you think it does just don't know. I wish I could give you a good answer. I do think LeBron being the first mover, he was the first major voice to do this. And he applied pressure, pressure that it had to have had some, I don't know where on the pie chart it ranked, but it definitely made an impact. Chris Paul, I really think Draymond Green using the platform of his podcast uh, that was released uh, on Tuesday and calling for that owner vote, that was a chess move. That was a chess move because an owner vote really makes everybody uncomfortable because uh, I don't really think that the owners would ever have gotten there, but who knows? And if Draymond's calling for it on Tuesday, who knows who will be calling for it on Friday or next week? And that was a real move by Draymond. And so, uh, again, I think it's unfair that the players – have to act as the accountability holders in certain cases like this. Uh, But I also understand that, you know, no group, especially no power group is going to, you know, police itself in a, in a fair manner, at least not normally. And so the owners were not able to hold themselves accountable. The players did. And I guess you could say that that's progress. It's just disappointing that that needs to be the way that it happened. What's next for the Suns, Wendy? So I think it right now they'll feel a, a little bit of uncertainty. You know, I've I've been around teams that have had sales like this happen before, but I think ultimately it will remove the pressure, and they will have an emotional day, I'm sure, on Monday. Um, but then Robert Sarver will be gone. He won't be around. He was already suspended. He's remained suspended. So not only do they know that he can't be a part of them day-to-day. They know he's not coming back. He will almost certainly sell that team 
before that suspension ends. So that will remove a cloud from them. The question is whether or not in the interim they're going to have freedom of movement. They are in the trade market uh, to a certain extent in trade talks. They are negotiating with Cam Johnson. They're you know one of their, their quality players on a contract extension. Um, I would assume that they would be allowed to go forward. You know, the one thing I can compare this to would be the Atlanta Hawks back in 2014, where their owner, Bruce Levinson, announced he was going to sell the team after a racially insensitive email surfaced. The Hawks went on to have a 60-win season that year. It kind of, in a way, freed them up. So um, I would expect, especially a team that has a lot of veteran leadership with a veteran coach, that the Suns will be able to weather this. Um, but certainly um, it will be a relief to be able to talk some about basketball now that this right. is uh, off their plate. And so much content and whoever buys these teams, and certainly as far as the Mercury are concerned, you're always hoping that someone who invests uh, cares about both franchises and is willing to, to really give the you know effort and, and time to the Women's League as well. Uh, Wendy, thanks so much for the insight. Great job on ESPN Daily, and thanks for the update here. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Have a great day, guys. Always love when we can get some insight from Wendy at Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're going to look ahead to week three of the NFL season and preview two games that really stand out. It's coming up next, Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. If you're fired up about Tua and the Dolphins, this weekend will be a great opportunity to be getting that confirmation bias that you're looking for, that they are the real deal, or... To be reminded that there is still a big gap between the Buffalo Bills and the other good teams in the league. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. As we look ahead on this Wednesday to the biggest and best games of Week 3, the Bills and the Dolphins is what stands out to everybody. Let's take a look. Yeah, we've got a team in the Bills that we just had a conversation about, Fitz, on Tuesday as to are they not just the best team in the league, but how big of a gap are they putting between themselves and the next closest? And then a team in the Dolphins that changed a lot of opinions with that fourth quarter and that last second win. Now, the big thing for me is going to be how injuries affect the Bills' ability to stop one of the Dolphins' strengths. The Bills have injuries in the secondary to Dane Jackson and Micah Hyde. And the Dolphins have Hill and Waddle leading the NFL with 739 passing yards in two games. We saw Tua kind of dispel some of the doubts about his arm with those deep balls to those two guys. The speed on this Dolphins team could present a real problem for the Bills if they're banged up in the secondary. Totally agree with that. The only thing that we'll try and the Bills will try and do to save themselves is continue to just absolutely get after the quarterback. And Von Miller has been a far bigger impact than I think most of us expected. but the Bills look like they're capable of just squishing the pocket at any given time. Uh, so I think that plays to a little bit of how they'll try and save themselves. The one thing I'd th- say, though, even about that is for as much as we saw them getting after Ryan Tannehill, uh, Tua's got a little bit more mobility in him than we give him credit for sometimes. So I think if he can step up into the pocket and be a little bit slippery, it will buy them time. Those wide receivers are getting open at an alarming quickness, too. So first step, open looks, going to give them opportunities. Uh, the, this is such a difficult game for me because – 
I saw two different versions of the Dolphins, right? We, we, we saw a fourth-quarter Dolphins team that couldn't be stopped. We saw a first, second, and third-quarter Dolphins team that looked like their defense was one step too slow for everything the Ravens put at them, and they just couldn't put it together even offensively in that. So I, I don't know which version of the Dolphins is real, and if it's not the fourth-quarter version, this is going to be another bloodbath. Yeah, I think also worth noting is for the through the first two weeks, the Dolphins have had basically zero pass rush that they've had to face. And the Bills bring the heat. So as much as they want to look for those deep balls, as much as they want to let some of those plays develop where they're using the speed on the outside, they won't be able to if Tua's got no time. And this is going to be the first look at whether that Dolphins offensive line can give him enough time to look for those against a devastating Bills pass rush and a defense in the Bills that so far has made two teams look absolutely pathetic, right? This is a team that's going to make a lot of teams look bad. And I do, you know, when I get back to the secondary issues, there's a really good conversation you should listen to it on Mina Kimes' podcast today between Mina and Dominique Foxworth about if the if the Dolphins run the ball effectively and they start to create issues, then sometimes the Bills have to drop a safety or into into the box and that can be real bad because it puts some guys like Elam on 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 notice where he's got to you know end up on a, on an edge covering guys himself that he can't keep up with. So I think that's worth watching. Do the Dolphins try to establish the run early in order to force the Bills to put more guys in the box and open up the, the secondary uh, and and make some more one-on-one matchups? Um, I think also worth looking at, Fitz, is what did we see out of Tua and how much of that was the Ravens falling apart and how much of that was Tua himself turning a corner? Because Chris Canty was on Get Up and he's not convinced. I'm not buying into two or six touchdown performance. Mitch Trubisky wow. threw six touchdowns. Matt Flynn threw six touchdowns. I mean, you've had a lot of guys. Ryan Fitzpatrick from your Jets threw six touchdowns. Ain't none of them dudes franchise quarterbacks. But from what I've seen from Jalen Hurts, not only this first couple of games, but last year and taking that team to the playoffs and how he developed those last two months, I'm buying into this kid. Hmm. Buying Hurts, selling Tua. And uh, look, I understand a little bit of the hesitation. I really do, especially – uh, given the fact that it's been a little up and down for Tua. But the one thing that Tua doesn't want to get into, despite these great offensive weapons, is a shootout. And that's my biggest fear in this game, that we're going to know quickly that, you know, the, at this point, Stephon Diggs looks like a man possessed. And I know I, I had some glorious stats for his Monday night performance. That doesn't take any anything away from his first Sunday performance either, where he came in and made it very clear he wants to be known as the best receiver in the NFL. I, I just don't know that the Dolphins can stop the Bills from scoring so mm-hmm. much that that it's going to put pressure on Miami to keep up. I've got faith in that Bills defense more so than the Dolphins. We'll see Facts. if those injuries come into play. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, looking at two of the biggest matchups for week three in the NFL. Let's get to the other one. Packers at Buccaneers. Packers sitting at 1-1 one and one after that week one loss of the Vikings. Bucks 2-0 and oh despite a very, very ugly first half against the Saints. This is the later game on Fox 425 Eastern uh, this weekend. L- let's talk about how you see the Packers. Do you see them any differently after their win over the Bears? Or is that a typical Bears are not a good team, not expected to be good, don't have enough talent, don't have enough time with the new coaching staff, and... You know, the Packers need to play a team like the Bucks that's got something going on to prove to us that they can hang, especially after that beatdown to a Vikings team that got throttled by the Eagles on Monday. Yeah, I, everything you just said feels like you're preaching to me, like, in all the right ways, because that is how I see the Packers right now. And the Packers are going to get such a test here because as much as you know I've been hard on Tampa Bay – 
Tampa Bay's defense cannot be denied. Like, they are incredible, right? So, it, what you've seen so far from the Packers is a difficulty to get a lot of rhythm going offensively, and we know that the past game has not been particularly great. Now you're going to put that up against Tampa Bay. I mean, uh, the Tampa Bay offense may be just a heaping pile of garbage, but that doesn't matter. Their defense <laughs> is so stinking good. I think this is one of those games, like, I, I'm – for me, I'm hammering the under on it, and you know I think it's 42 is the over/under on it. I, I don't think there's a lot of points in this game, and I think you're going to have two quarterbacks just breaking their surfaces over and over and over again. Yeah, I I, I I'm concerned on the Bucks end. I think they obviously have a ton of problems, at least under Tom Brady, against the Saints. They still managed to get a win despite that matchup always being a problem. But what we saw from them in the first half offensively was a real, real bad omen. And now Mike Evans will be out. You've already got injuries on that wide receiver group. They they went and signed Beasley. I don't think I don't think I've seen yet whether they've activated him, but um, not a lot of depth. The offensive line is an issue, and you know now they've got uh, no Godwin, no Jones because of the injuries that are likely to keep them out again. Um, and so I think you're going to have to see Tom Brady and that coaching staff get really clever to get some points because for as much as I haven't seen enough from that new look Packers offense, you can usually count on Aaron pa- uh, Rodgers to get enough done. Um, that's that's going to be the issue for the Bucks is keeping up, even with their great defense. I, I was a little stunned to see. I mean, I know I've seen Rodgers take a lot of hits, it feels like, but he's taken seven sacks so far this year, and that's a big number in two weeks for Aaron Rodgers when yep. they're not throwing the ball particularly well, too. So, uh, I, it's man, this just— And to me, that's not the offensive line if you're watching. That's a lot of him not being on the same page with those receivers that they started working with. A hundred percent. And I don't know that that gets fixed against this defense. Like if, if right. it is a, if it's a, we need patience, patience is going to be better. Uh, I think later in the season, I, the Packers will be a much better team in two months than they are today. Let me ask you a quick question. We did our picks preseason. You had the Vikings ahead of the Packers in that division and you had the Bucks. I think second or third in theirs. Have you changed your mind yet, or is still waiting to see? I'm still waiting to see on the on the Packers. I I, I did believe in the Vikings. I, I can't believe it's gotten that bad, and I'm still out on the Bucks being any good. It's just the rest of that division's terrible too. Ugh. Yeah, I just feel like what I've seen from the Bucks defense and what I expect from Brady and company to evolve into. I still feel good about the Bucks as, as a good team, and I still got the Packers over the Vikings. We'll Ooh. see. Aaron Judge chasing history, an all-time Yankees legend, joins us next to talk about it. Spain and Fitz the podcast spain and fits on espn radio the espn app at sirius xm channel 80 you can hit us up on the dr pepper twitter feed at spain and fits at sarah spain at jason fits fear not you just heard kevin winter getting you updated on everything aaron judge i want to stress to you that hang out on espn radio because no matter what happens throughout the course of the night for aaron uh, judge we will make sure that you're caught up on it so if he uh, if he hits more home runs you'll hear him on espn radio all night. In the meantime, uh, ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. For a job you'll love, visit Progressive.com slash careers. Before the show tonight, we had the chance right before we came on air to catch up with the Yankees legend. This is that. Let's get into everything you could ever want to talk from baseball to music with a guy that has four World Series championships, five-time Major League Baseball All-Star, Bernie Williams, uh, the great Bernie Williams, hanging out with us. And Bernie, we're going to get into some baseball, but first... You're playing the National Anthem tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium. It's tied to your new initiative, Tune In to Lung Health. Tell us what you're doing with that initiative. Uh, Tune In to Lung Health. Uh, it's an initiative that I have uh, partnered with. Uh, 
Behringer Engelheim is a, a great pharmaceutical company out of Germany. Uh, I've been working with them for the past six, seven years in an initiative called Breathless, uh, which is uh, to uh, raise awareness about idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, uh, which is the disease that took my dad's life away in 2001. Uh, so uh, tune into Lung Health is a little bit of uh, the evolution of uh, uh, that initial campaign. Uh, and then we're just trying to educate people about uh, interstitial lung diseases, you know, diseases that are uh, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis is included in, in that list. We have about 200 of those. Uh, there's about 140,000 people suffering from these diseases in the United States. And I think it was uh, pretty important uh, for people to know this. So, Bernie, tell me real quick about your approach to the national anthem. So I'm a violinist, fiddle player. I've played the anthem a bunch at sporting events, but you have to kind of go about it differently. What's your approach when you're playing the anthem on a guitar? I think that the most important thing is to know it by heart, to know it enough that you can wake up at 2 in the morning and just play it, you know, flawlessly. <laughs> and I think after that, I think, you know, not to be too, you know, too flashy, respect the, uh, the lyrics, and uh, just give it a, uh, a really solid performance, you know, as far as the melody is concerned. Uh, I think everything else, you know, you kind of like, you know, playing a little bit with fire, but I think, you know, <laughs> most people would appreciate uh, just a, a solid performance uh, through in and through out. And, uh, yeah, and, and then if you want to throw a little bit of a flare at the end, I think it's fine. I love how you used a baseball cliche. You know, he could roll out of bed and hit. You said that about the anthem. You could wake up at 2 a.m. and still play it. <laughs> I love it. It's perfect. Uh, so everybody will be watching you play the national anthem tomorrow night at Yankee Stadium, tied to that Tune In to Lung Health initiative. Very exciting. You know, it's an exciting time to be at Yankee Stadium. Obviously, the big story, Aaron Judge in pursuit of Roger Maris's home run record. Uh, what have you made of Judge and especially the last couple weeks? Uh, I think he has uh, definitely stayed consistent through the whole year. I think he has, uh, you know, gamble, and the gamble has paid off big time. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I I think that the, uh, he, uh, you know, had this you know, sort of zeal of proving to everybody that he is the player that he was himself expecting to be up at this time. And I think, uh, you know, he is trying to capitalize on, uh, you know, the best years of his career, uh, uh, you know, with uh, probably, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, one of the best uh, sport franchises in, ba in, in baseball uh, and sports. Uh, and uh, I think he's doing it in a very classy way. I think he's trying to deflect the attention from his uh, individual act, uh, you know, uh, performance and trying to, you know, sort of pass it on to what that means within the context of them reaching the playoffs and uh, having a good postseason. Uh, so I, I do give him a lot of credit. I think he has uh, uh, sort of worked his, uh, his uh, situation magically. I mean, when you talk about everything right there, Bernie, you're talking about a, a fine line, right, like of accomplishing what you're accomplishing while you have all of this stuff that you're leveraging in your own personal contract life, while you're trying to give credit to your teammates. What's the key in your mind to being able to compartmentalize all that and still go out and be as successful as you can individually? I think it's just a laser focus on just uh, just your performance on the field. Nothing else matters. Nobody else and nobody is going to talk about anything else other than your performance. So why focus on something else other than that? I think you know the key is just going to be try, for him to try to put as good as numbers 
as he can during the season so he can position himself as he has already have into the, you know, kind of like the best leverage position that anybody can have, having the last year of his uh, deal just negotiating for a new long-term deal and having arguably one of the best offensive uh, years that any player could ever have in any, in any, you know, any time in history. The great Bernie Williams is with us here on Spain and Fitz, four-time World Series champ, five-time All-Star. You can follow him at BW51Official. That's his number, 51. Of course, retired by the Yankees. You mentioned that he bet on himself, and it seemed like it's working out pretty well. I mean, this is looking like blank check territory. (laughs) I mean, do you think this will end up being him getting as much as he can from the Yankees or finding a sweet spot where he's getting paid a ton, but he maybe doesn't make him go uh, to what he's truly worth. Well, I, I think in a, in a good negotiation, none of the parties are happy with the outcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think you know it's going to be somewhere in the middle. I think you know what this has done to uh, Aaron Judge is to put him in a position that will will have more than the Yankees uh, uh, interested in him. And I think that will probably put a little bit of a fire, uh, you know, uh, under the uh, Yankees organization to try, there'll be a little bit more pressure to sign him, uh, uh, you know, at the end of this season. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, that's, yeah, he cannot be in a better position than that. There's no such thing as non-pressure when it comes to everything the Yankees do. Uh, when you look at this team this year, what are your expectations for what they're capable of? Well, I think they have uh, the potential to – have as, as good a chance as anybody to to win this whole thing. I think it depends, obviously, on the you know various elements you know that you know are you know component of this team. I mean, you have the offense that we already knew that they had. You know, obviously, adding the you know uh, uh, Stanton uh, and, and and Judge and and Glaver and uh, and Donaldson and all those people. You know, have, a lot of it has been geared towards having you know fortifying that that offense. But I think you know. Uh, if I may, you know, put my, you know, my era and my teams as an example, we had a great combination of uh, a great bullpen that would, you know, hold that lead, and then arguably the best closer, uh, arguably in the in the history of the game with Mariano closing the games for us. So I think, you know, offense is great. Uh, I think in short series, I think pitching becomes extremely important. Uh, and those, uh, you know, the bullpens, you know, holding all those those leads becomes uh, uh, very, very important too. Uh, so uh, I think that they have a great chance to to get this thing, uh, you know, try to sway it to uh, you know the Yankee way. And uh, I also think that they that players are pressured. I think a little bit because I think over the past three or four years they have come a little bit short of the expectations of the fan base and the you know themselves you know, trying to win a, a, a championship for the city. Uh, and I know that uh, they're all, all, all of them are pressing and trying to get this thing accomplished. It's Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Yankees great Bernie Williams. You obviously still watch a lot of baseball. I'm sure you talk to a whole lot of people about the game. So many conversations about changing it, fixing it, making it better, rule changes, whether that's relating to the shift or some sort of pitch clock. What do you find yourself ranting about the most or maybe advocating for when you're talking to other uh, friends or former players about the game of baseball's evolution? Well, I mean, I, I like the instant replay. I mean, uh, as a player, you work so hard <laughs> trying to get everything right in your game. 
Uh, so you want the outcome of these games to be the right one and not really depending on, on uh, you know, uh, something that, you know, may kind of like turn the game uh, and turn the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the outcome of the game, uh, you know, and something other than, than your own performance. I think that's first. Uh, second, I mean, I come from an era that, uh, you know, we really utilize time <laughs> as a weapon. Uh, whether it was, you know, taking your time or just, you know, hurrying things up, you know, time was certainly an element. I think that we are living in a society now that really values the time that they spent watching sports. And I think baseball and, his, uh, and its timelessness is really competing uh, with uh, that aspect of, you know, society right now. And I think baseball is trying to make, you know, some strides into trying to uh, sort of speed up the game, you know, trying to give fans, you know, more of an active uh, interaction with the game, you know, as they watch it. Uh, but I think I would be uh, careful to try to tinker too much with that because I think, you know, obviously I, I like the way <laughs> the game was, you know, before. And I think, you know, changing the essence of the game uh, would not benefit the game. So I think uh, the people that are making these changes have to be really careful, try not to tinker too much with the essence of what baseball means and uh, the way it's played. Bernie, real quick before we get you out of here, what's tougher, getting a hit off of a pitcher that's absolutely hot or playing a jazz solo perfectly in a way that you listen back to it forever and say, I nailed it? Ooh, man, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I think you definitely have a lot of time to practice to get that solo done, uh, to play it flawlessly. I think it will be probably a disservice to whoever you're trying to copy, so you kind of want to make it your own. <laughs> uh, with that said... I think there's so many things that you cannot control in, in an at-bat, especially facing somebody like Pedro Martinez or, or Roger Clemens. I mean, you could be at the top of your game and have everything going for you and still, you know, not being able to – still being able to, uh, to come up short uh, because, uh, you know, you can't control a guy just throwing a pitch on the block or an umpire just calling a pitch that might be just questionable. So I think it's, it's probably a lot harder to, to hit one off a pitcher that is uh, on the top of his game. Well, you would know better than anybody. Visit right. TuneInToLungHealth.com to see how you can join Bernie and help fight pulmonary fibrosis. We really appreciate your time. Best of luck with the anthem tomorrow. We know you'll crush that. Most importantly, best, enough, best of luck with this initiative. Thanks for giving us your time, Bernie. Thanks, Bernie. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thank you for your time, guys. All the best. I don't know, Sarah. I've never, uh, I've never been able to listen back to a solo afterwards and not thought, ah, I should have played that instead. I think he's underrated. I'm just saying. But uh, check out Birdie out tomorrow. It's great work. In the meantime, Aaron Judge bet on himself. It's proven to be hugely successful. Have he and one other prominent athlete actually changed the way negotiations could be done? We'll answer next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Here's the three-one. Number 60, slide over, babe. You've got some company. Aaron James Judge has tied George Herman Babe Ruth with 60 home runs. Slide over, babe. At least that's <laughs> what the Yes Network's telling you what to do. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM channel, ladies. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Look, this has been a remarkable year by Aaron Judge, and I don't think anybody, whether you're a baseball fanatic, whether you're a Yankees diehard, I don't think any anybody 
before the year started, would have guessed that we'd be sitting here at this point with Aaron Judge playing this well and having been this healthy throughout the course of this season. But, Sarah, part of the reason that most people wouldn't have bet on that is because, frankly, he bet on himself, remembering that this was a year where he went to arbitration with the Yankees. They couldn't come to an agreement when it came to a contract, and they finally did come to an agreement that is going to allow him to get paid next year. And he went from already getting paid to now getting paid because the season he has had has been so once-in-a-lifetime, once-in-a-generation, oh, my God, I can't imagine the money he's going to get. And it all comes from the fact that at the end of the day, he bet on himself. Yeah, and I'll tell you one way to make anybody who thinks that you're too greedy or that you should give the team a break feel less like that is to go out and do things we haven't seen before. Now, there are always going to be fans that are bitter about the amount of money athletes bring in, ignoring the fact that the sports that they play, the product that they are, is what makes billions for owners, television execs, broadcasters, etc. But when it comes to these contract years... The best proof that you're deserving of turning down a massive deal like the seven-year, $213.5 million extension he turned down in spring training is to be even better than you've been and to be better than almost anyone we've seen before. I have no idea. I know that our, our guy, Tim Kirkshen, says that the numbers for him will start at $300 million, go up from there. Mm. Other people are suggesting it could be 400 other people are saying, why not get wild with it and do a two-year $100 million? Do a shorter deal with higher money? Um, I, I mean, we're going to have uh, a lot of fun predicting what he's going to get. And as Buster only said on Greeny, we're going to get used to hearing a lot of real superlatives about what he's done this year. Aaron Judge, in the second half of this year, is batting 372. He's got a 506 on base percentage. He's got an 853 slugging percentage with basically no protection around him because the Yankees have been crushed by injuries. And here we are talking about him not only uh, beating Roger Maris's record for home runs, but also uh, right now he's in line to win a triple crown. It's incredible. So get comfortable with the phrase best ever when you're talking about Judd. Oh, that's great. Like best ever. From somebody, because, like, let's face it, there are some people that, that like clicks and hyperbole and big statements, but that's not our baseball guys, right? So when Kirchner says best ever, like, that's just a different, that just hits different. And, and, yeah, when, when Buster, Buster, sorry, Buster, Buster, Buster says. Buster and Kirchner, yeah. Uh, yeah when, when, but you're talking about two guys that are so down the middle with their takes. That they're not guys that are out there yelling garbage. When they say best ever, like, that just, that hits me different. Agreed. Agreed. And and the numbers are telling us that OPS wise, the distance between him and the next highest home run hitter is a great way to look at his dominance within his own era. Um, and again, the betting on yourself thing usually for the very best works out. So SIG uh, has put together a list of some of the folks who put together a great season in a contract year. Our producer, Devin, pulled it up. Uh, Drew Brees, 2011, Offensive Player of the Year, finished second in MVP voting only to Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he ended up getting franchise tagged uh, early the next year, but then eventually reached a long-term agreement before uh, the deadline. Randy Moss in 2007, one of the greatest seasons 
ever. 23 receiving touchdowns was a single-season NFL record. Shaq, 95-96, averaging 26.6 points, 11 boards, 2.9 assists, and 2.1 blocks in his final season with the Magic. Left for the Lakers, got a record seven-year, $120 million deal then. And then Candace Parker, my gal, wins 2020 Defensive Player of the Year with the Sparks before signing with the Sky. Uh, they win the title. She's named Player of the Year in her first season with them. Uh, fingers crossed that she's coming back next year, by the way. But those are tough to do because sometimes you see those years and the decline begins and they actually end up costing themselves a little bit or that big number they were looking for goes down um, from what they could have gotten. Uh, that is not the case for Aaron Judge. And we'll see about this elbow for Lamar, but based on his performance the other day, Lamar's just making himself more money every day that he holds out. I, I think that's such a, a good portion of this conversation, too, because Lamar is out here doing everything that he has to do to continue to make his his value go up. And there are certain guys that are just transcendent. And as I've said a million times, I feel like in the last couple of months when it comes to Lamar and, and frankly, when it comes to Aaron Judge, when you already have generational changing wealth, you can play blackjack differently, right? So mm -hmm. you can handle this entire negotiation process differently if you're looking at it saying, yeah, I'm going to bet on myself because I never have to work again anyway, no matter what. And I want to get the full scope of my value. I'm not going to believe that I'm going to have a bad year. So I don't fault any of them. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how many players continue to look at this, the best of the best, and say, yeah, I'll bet on myself for short-term deals as often as possible or to hit the market as often as possible. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing will be the strategy that he decides to take. Is he going to go as many years as possible because he wants to stick around with the Yankees and doesn't see himself somewhere else? So this way, if my skills decline, if anything changes, I'm guaranteed X dollars over X years. Is he going to go contract i want to see where the market goes could there be a new tv deal could there be a big change where i'm you know uh willing and able to make even more the next time and go shorter deal like he's gonna have a lot of freedom here to, to make up his mind we're watching a couple of the best in their respective sports continue to thrive and i'm here for every single second of it thanks for listening to the spain and fitz podcast you can listen to the show weeknights at 7 eastern on espn radio and on the espn app